Good morning, everybody. Uh, how many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Everybody have a great Thanksgiving? Uh, we were so happy to be able to have mom's uh, kids eat uh, Thanksgiving lunch with her. And uh, that was a special time. I mean, that was a gift. And you know what? Every day is a gift, isn't it? Every day is a gift. And we're so grateful to God for that. But you know, Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> and now Christmas is just around the horizon. And so today we're beginning this new series for Christmas called The Best Part. And you know, there are a lot of things. How many of you, let me ask, how many of you feel like Christmas is your favorite time of year? How many? How many of you like hate Christmas? You don't even want to be around it. Okay, now see, that's a bad thing to ask because who's going to say, I hate Christmas? It's Mr. Scrooge. Um, but for a lot of us, Christmas is sort of our favorite season. Um, and I, that's true for me. There, there's just something about the lights and the decorations and the music and the times with family and friends, and especially the story of Christmas about God sending his son down to be with us. This series is going to take a look at a lot of those different elements that we look at and feel like make Christmas time and that season sort of special uh, and maybe look a little deeper into those elements and discover the best part of them. Because each element, as we look at it, can certainly represent something that is even better than itself. Often, when we're telling a story, we might share a portion of it, and then we might add, but the best part is this. What is the best part? of Christmas for you, the season or even the story. Today we're going to focus on the decorations. I, I love decorations that we have at Christmas. How many of y'all really like de the decorations? How many of you love putting the decorations up? Okay, see some of you, you, you like them. I love driving by and seeing the lights. But I'm going to be honest, I, I hate stringing the lights, you know. <coughs> just before we, you know, we, you know, we've lived in our house for 20-some years and we just sold it. And uh, <coughs> so I don't have to do this anymore. I'm not going to miss this right now. But, you know, I'd have to put the lights on around the, the house on the outside. Um, I think Christy was always worried I'd fall off that ladder. But as long as the life insurance is paid up, she's good, you know. <laughs> But I don't know about you, but it, it sort of became a chore for me. Um, I love the scented candles. and How many of y'all like that? The scented candles and the smells, you know. Uh, I love the, the decorations over the fireplace. Christy does a great job with that stuff. I love driving through a city street and seeing all the lights and the candy canes out. But the best part for me in terms of decorating is the tree. How many of you love the Christmas tree and decorating that Christmas tree and getting it all set up and ready? You know, the Christmas tree tradition began in Germany back in the 16th century. Christians would decorate their trees and their homes. Some say it was Martin Luther, one of the leading Reformation preachers of his time, 
who was the first to add candlelight to the tree. The story goes that while he was on his way home one evening, thinking about a sermon that he was writing, he noticed the stars, and he, it, it was amazing to him how they, the, they would sort of shine through the evergreen trees, and it sort of gave this twinkling effect. So when he got home, he put a tree in his house, and he put it in the main room, and he attached some lighted candles to the branches. Now, obviously, they didn't have a fire marshal going through saying, this is not a good idea. Um, so if you're looking for that tradition here, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do it. But uh, a Christmas tradition was born, lights on the tree. And there are a lot of different ideas and opinions about the symbolism of the Christmas tree. But in Christianity, many would say that the Christmas tree is symbolic of the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tree's branches and shrubs are viewed as symbols of immortality and are said to symbolize the crown of thorns worn by Christ on the cross. Now, decorating the tree can be something that the entire family joins in together to do, which is why, to me, that's the best part of the decorating experience. How many of you do it as a family? How many of you have, have uh, the whole family comes in and does it, okay? <coughs> so when, when the kids were home, Christy and the girls, they used to put all the ornaments on the trees, and uh, sometimes I would wrap the lights around the trees. And, uh, and, and as the kids grew up, they began to do more and more. And uh, Sometimes the only thing that would be left for me is to put whatever was on the top of the tree up there, and it seemed like it was always crooked for some reason. I don't know why. But I miss those days because the girls are grown and, and they've moved out of the house. So if you're a young family and you have kids, cherish those moments, right? They are a treasure. Now the problem is that many people simply focus on the tree and the lights themselves and they don't think about anything beyond that. We lose the meaning of the tree when it's just a decoration. It can become about who has the biggest tree or the best lights or the best decorations. We forget the origins and we focus on the wrong things. Of course, we know that there were no Christmas trees in the manger scene, right? I mean, we know that the Christmas story didn't have Christmas trees in it, but the tree has become an integral part of our decorating. So what is the best part? It is, in my humble estimation, the symbolism found in the tree. Because the best part of decorating, if it is the tree, and it's important to remember that the best part of the tree is its symbolism, what is it that the tree really represents? And I want to suggest to you that the best part of the Christmas tree is that it symbolizes what Jesus did for us. If you think about trees, they're pretty remarkable creations. God created them to provide oxygen for us to breathe. Think about it. He also provided some to give us fruit that we can eat. 
He provided them so that we could have some shade for relief from the sun. And we could have wood to build with. Maybe even use in a fire to warm ourselves when it's cold. Maybe to make posts to build fences to protect our animals from the predators or maybe even ourselves. So much more that God's creation of the tree can be used for. So when we think of Christmas, there certainly would have been trees involved in some way. You think the inn that Joseph and Mary were turned away from could have been made from wood. The stable was uh, where he was born was possibly made of wood. The manger that bore the baby Jesus was probably made of wood. But if you think about it, there's no tree ever that bore so much love as the tree that bore Christ as a cross. And I know this isn't the part of the Christmas story traditionally for us, thinking about the cross. That's, the, that's what we normally think of as the end of the story, which really isn't even the end, but it is the reason for the Christmas story, isn't it? I mean, the very reason God sent Jesus to be born in that manger was so that one day he could hang on that cross. God sent Jesus with a purpose. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He did this by becoming a curse himself. When we see Christmas trees, we usually notice the lights and the ornaments. But this Christmas, I hope that they will remind us of something else. And as you decorate your tree, maybe with your kids, keep in mind the symbolism of the tree itself. Because the tree represents the sacrifice of Jesus. May it remind us of what Jesus did for us, giving up his life as he was nailed to a tree, the cross. His life was not taken away from him. It was freely given because of his love for us. In John 10, 18, Jesus said, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Now, it may be important to be reminded of why all of this was necessary. Why did Jesus have to become a curse for us? Well, the truth is that we were all cursed because of our sin. You may remember Romans 6, 23, that reminds us that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death, meaning separation. Separation from God for eternity. Unless we think that's somebody else's problem, the Bible also tells us in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. So the Bible teaches us that left to ourselves, we are cursed by our own sinful choices. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame the government. We can't blame our spouse. We can't blame all the people that have let us down. This is on us. My sin is on me. Your sin is on you. And as much as I love my children, I can't take their sin away. As much as I love you, I can't take your sin away. There's only one who can do that. Jesus had to take our place. He had to become a curse for us. So in his death, Jesus represents every human being. He took the curse of God on himself so that every believer would be blessed rather than cursed. Because Jesus became a curse for all of us, we can be forgiven of our sin. Jesus experienced hell and separation from God so that we would never be separated from God. Jesus became a curse so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, I don't know about you, but if I think about that, if I think about the Christmas tree in light of that, as a reminder of the wonderful blessing that I have because Jesus hung on a tree, that's the best part. It isn't the decorating. It's the symbolism of what Jesus has done for us. He hung on a tree. Maybe as you decorate your tree, you can include symbols of his sacrifice to help you remember what this is all about and teach your children and your grandchildren what this truly is all about. And I would add, secondly, that the tree reminds us of the love Jesus has for us. I understand that Christmas can often be one of the hardest times of years for many people. Due to different circumstances, they are hurting and they are struggling. Many people say they feel despair at Christmas time. Some would even say that they hate Christmas. In fact, many mental health experts report that depression rises during the holidays. Instead of a time of joy, there is the stress of decorating, of preparing food, of traveling, of spending money on gifts, and even spending time with family. That can be stressful too. The holidays can be exhausting physically and emotionally. In fact, 64% of people living with mental illness report that their conditions worsened during the holidays. And that stress can lead to the risk of illness, of substance abuse, or attempts to disconnect and isolate oneself from others. So friends, I would encourage you, there may be somebody here that feels that way. And I would encourage you to seek some godly, professional counseling, if that is true of you. 
And I want to say that I don't believe a simple thing like using a tree to remind you that your love will magically fix some of those deep hurts and pains. But if for some reason you are feeling unloved this Christmas, may every Christmas tree that you see remind you of the cross of Christ and the price that he paid because of God's love for you. Remembering that you are not alone, that God does love you and care about you is very important. Sometimes it might even be the only thing you can hang on to. God has revealed how he feels about you. In John 3, now most of us remember John 3.16, but if we read through 18, we get a little more clearer picture. For God so loved the world that he what? <coughs> Keep going. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The world truly doesn't love us. I don't know if you figured that out yet, but uh, the world is going to use us and spit us out. But Jesus reminds us in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Of course, we know that the thief is Satan, who is described in Scripture as being the prince of this world. He is a thief because he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your spirit and bring you to destruction. And not just you, but everyone that you love, everyone that you care about. That's his desire. If you want to look for a culprit behind all the pain, there he is. He is the thief. And he wants to distract us from what really matters. And I would say, friends, if you hadn't figured this out already, even the Christmas season can be a distraction. The decorating can be a distraction. The parties, the spending, all the things surrounding the season can cause us to lose our focus on what it's really all about. But if you can be reminded of the best part of the story, we can be reminded of God's great love for us. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You could say that the cross was the first real Christmas tree. We may think of the gifts we have under trees, but the cross bore the greatest gift of Christmas for all of us. And so, friends, as you spend time this season, around the tree, maybe while you're decorating it with your family, or just relaxing 
and admiring the beauty of the lights, why not take a deeper dive into its meaning? Why not have some discussion with your kids or your grandkids about another tree that the Savior was on? I want to close today by sharing a, a beautiful little story. It's a traditional folk tale. And I think many of you probably have already heard it, but it's a beautiful story, the tale of three trees. Are you all familiar with that, the tale of three trees? And if you'll just bear with me just for a moment, I want to share this with you because it sort of points to the same idea that I've been talking about today. Once upon a mountaintop, three little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. The first little tree looked up at the stars twinkling like diamonds above him. I want to hold treasure, he said. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I will be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. The second little tree looked out at the small stream trickling by on its way to the ocean. I want to be a strong sailing ship, he said. I want to travel mighty waters and carry powerful kings. I will be the strongest ship in the world. And the third little tree looked down into the valley below where busy men and busy women worked in a busy town. I don't want to leave this mountaintop at all, she said. I want to grow so tall that when people stop and they look at me, they will raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I will be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed, the rains came, the sun shone, the little trees grew tall. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain. The first woodcutter looked at the first tree and said, This tree is beautiful. It is perfect for me. And with a swoop of a shining axe, the first tree fell. Now I shall be made into a beautiful chest, thought the first tree. I shall hold wonderful treasures. The second woodcutter looked at the second tree and said, This tree is strong. It is perfect for me. And with the swoop of his shining axe, the second tree fell. Now I shall sail mighty waters, thought the second tree. I shall be a strong ship fit for kings. And the third tree felt her heart sink when the last woodcutter looked her way. She stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven, but the woodcutter never even looked up. Any kind of tree will do for me, he muttered. And with the swoop of his shining axe, the third tree fell. The first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought him to a carpenter's shop. But the busy carpenter was not thinking about treasure chests. Instead, his work-worn uh, work hands fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. The once beautiful tree was not covered with gold or, or filled with treasure. He was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. The second tree smiled when the woodcutter took him to a shipyard, but that mighty sailing ship was, uh, no mighty sailing ship was being made that day. Instead, the once strong 
tree was hammered and sawed into a simple fishing boat. Too small and too weak to sail an ocean or even a river, he was taken to a little lake. Every day, he brought in loads of dead, smelly fish. And the third tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in a lumber yard. What happened? The once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was stay on the mountaintop and point to God. Many, many days and nights passed. The trees, three trees, nearly forgot their dreams. But one night, a golden starlight poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in the feed box. I wish I could have made a cradle for him, her husband whispered. And the mother squeezed his hand and smiled as the starlight shone on the smooth and sturdy wood. This manger is beautiful, she said. And suddenly the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. One evening a tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat. The traveler fell asleep as the second tree quietly sailed out into the lake. Soon a thundering and thrashing storm arose. The little tree shuddered. He knew he did not have the strength to carry so many passengers safely through the wind and the rain. The tired man was awakened. He stood up, stretched out his hand and said, Peace. And the storm stopped as quickly as it had begun. And suddenly, the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the forgotten woodpile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry, jeering crowd. She shuddered when the soldiers nailed a man's hands to her. And she felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning, when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew that God, God's love, had changed everything. It made the first tree beautiful. It had made the second tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. That was better than being the tallest tree in the world. Friends, it's all just to remind us of the real meaning of Christmas and what God did for us. Maybe you can read this story to your children or your grandchildren. Maybe start a new tradition surrounding the Christmas tree. Let them be a reminder of God's love and his great sacrifice for us. Father, we come to you today. You have loved us so much, even though we have not been very lovable, even though we have sinned, even though we were cursed. You sent Jesus to become a curse for us. That little baby that was in that manger 
would grow up to take upon himself on that cross all of our sin. And Father, that is the greatest act of love anyone could ever do for me or any of us. So we worship you and we praise you for your wonderful love. And I pray that as we leave this place today, that anytime we see a Christmas tree or we're having these thoughts, that our minds will be drawn back to what it all really means. A Savior came, and He came to take upon Himself our failures, our sins, our hurts and our pains, and He came to give us the promise of heaven because of His great love for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.